Okay, I started the recording, but we can plan on like chatting a minute first, and then then we introduce ourselves, kick in, and introduce ourselves. Yeah. And I guess for these things, we talked about it last night. Like you have normally uh, like a recorded little intro in a podcast mm-hmm. where it's like meet the DJ. Maria Constant. No, I think we should skip that. <laughs> With Eric and Maria. Don't but I find it funny that I don't know your name, actually. And yeah. actually, Constantinescu, but it's an easy name, but it's just long. But Eric I think, and Maria sounds... I think good. Eric and Maria is great because it's it just flows really well. It flows much better than Maria and Eric. Okay. And then you record a bit that says, like, we did this interview with Harry Charles, our first one. He was actually like sound teching the whole thing as well, because he's super versatile and loves tech <laughs> and gadgets. Just like Ableton, that's all. And uh, like uh, yeah, and you give a little background, and then it's like yeah, kicks on the interview, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's that part. That's that part, and then we ask you like. A first question. Do you have a first question for Harry? I don't know. I have one. Yes. <laughs> so Harry, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure. In this inaugural podcast. Yes. And thank you for all the help setting up and and um, your knowledge about like all things music, technical, always impresses me. And I think was the first thing that impressed me about you was your versatility mm. when we met in uh, in Lisbon mm. in 2020, September 2020. And I wonder if you could just maybe start out by telling us about that journey from like then till now. Not from then, not from September till now, but from like maybe your move into like making music into a, like a full-time mm. focus. Mm. I probably started mostly in high school. Well, because I played guitar since I was maybe six or seven years old. Um, my family were quite musical, so my dad taught me how to play guitar when I was a kid. Um, and he played in church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I would play guitar with him whenever I could while I was learning as a child. So I would learn a few chords and then go to the church and play the chords that I knew and then go home and learn more and then go back and every time there was a different or new chord that I learned, I'd be able to play it. So it kind of was um, the desire to play guitar with my dad was the big push. At church? I, yeah, at church when I was a kid. Yeah, we went to church every Sunday. It's like another Whitney Houston kind story. Of. It wasn't like a big gospel <laughs> church. It was very kind of normal, pretty standard. Um, none of this crazy, like fainting. Not Kiwi soul. Pentecostal. No, none of this like, Kiwi gospel churches but it was still enough to make me want to play guitar every weekend when we went to church it was musical like there was a song leader and yeah so my my dad would play with uh another another lady geraldine harvey who in turn was also the lady that taught me to play guitar at my school because it was a very small town small community Mm -hmm. so there was the church there was the school across the road it was a catholic primary school she would play piano and at church my dad would play guitar and they would sing the songs together in church every Sunday and then she was teaching guitar lessons in school on Thursday lunch times 
So I would go in and learn how to play guitar. And because my sister was already playing, all of my dad's brothers and sisters all played. So it was just kind of this thing that everyone was doing anyway. So it was kind of a natural um, desire to want to do it. So you were sort of born into music? More or less, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was always, there was always guitars at every family occasion. Everyone the Leatherby family singers. The Leatherby family kind of sing song, um, you know, around the, like, there'd be, there'd be stereos and stuff, but it was always guitars. They'd always just be guitars yeah. out at weddings and funerals and parties and Christmas and New Year's and all these kinds of, there was always just guitars everywhere. So guitars and church was sort of chapter one. Yeah, pretty much just, just family, musical family then. Yeah. You know, and there were just always guitars around, so that's why I just got into it because it was there, and yeah. it was in my immediate surroundings. So it was quite natural to want to do it. And there's still photos of me with this giant acoustic guitar, and I'm like a little boy trying to <laughs> play the chords and stuff. It's quite cute. Um, so cute. So did then, you grow into it? Into the yes, big I eventually guitar? did. I eventually did. My dad still got that guitar, um, but and then it just kind of went on from then and then I realized that you could um, listen to music and learn how to play it uh-huh. if, you, if you could use your ears so a friend of mine came to school one day and he'd figured out how to play Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes and he showed me and then I asked him how he I was obviously blown away because I'd never heard anyone play anything apart from church music on the guitar and then he comes and plays this riff which we all know and love um, and he just said that he learned it by listening to it on the radio the night before. And so it was kind of like a light bulb eureka moment where I realized that if you just listen to it, you could figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I, I mean, that was my next kind of big step was going into this world of just listening to music and trying to figure it out on the guitar. And it was like lots of Green Day and I don't know, lots of other bands, but I remember Green Day being a very staple band that I tried to learn from. Um, and that kind of led me into high school, uh, where I continued playing, continued learning, started getting more kind of, um, technical guitar lessons from the teacher there. Started to learn how to play guitar solos, started learning all the scales and stuff. And then, um, eventually getting into playing with a band in high school mm-hmm. and then entering band competitions. And, um, I had a band called Effect, spelled E-F-E-K-T. So we were trying to, I don't know, we were trying to be, you know. The K is key. The K is key. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was just, it was just kind of a, a step-by-step process of becoming more interested in it and discovering more music and then discovering the Beatles and then discovering the Chili Peppers and then just my friend showing me the Zeppelin for the first time and then all these kinds of little sort of things and then discovering Eric Clapton. Um, and then and um, it was just kind of a natural progression of desire to learn to want to learn more and all the while still listening to songs and figuring them out yeah was the band playing covers or originals like we were they, writing original that? songs yeah okay because so there was a there was a, there's a nationwide band contest in new zealand called smoke free rock quest and um we entered in that competition and you have to perform two of your own original songs so me and my friend, um, one of my oldest friends, John Beach, and then we had Georgia McDonald playing the drums, had a chick drummer, which was pretty cool for the time. And then David Harvey on the bass. 
Um, and we just started writing these songs and um, they were like pop rock, pretty classic standard songs. Um, and then we entered into the, we got into the regional final for this competition um, in our kind of part of the country. And we got first place the first year we entered into it. So we were, I don't know, 15 or something. We entered in this competition. It was all brand new. Wow. And we won that night. So we won first place and we were like, yeah, we won the competition. And, we, and then we got interviewed by the local newspapers and got a $500 gift voucher for the local music shop. So we got to go and like spend this money with one. And I bought a distortion pedal, a Boss DS1, which is like the most classic simple distortion pedal you can find but it also sounds great um and then we just did that this is you know the last three years of high school we were just in this band but then we started playing community events and keep kept going back to rock quest and competing every year and doing all these different things and um in our last year of competition we won the chance to record an ep so we went into this local studio and recorded a five song ep um, so it was all like we were all excited and it was just this very early stages of being able to be exposed to a studio and being exposed to playing on stage and all these kinds of things um, and thinking that we'd made it when we first won the competition because we were like getting interviewed by newspapers and you know this you know even weeks later someone asked from another newspaper from another town came into our high school and took photos of us in rehearsal it was on the front cover of the Newspaper, my mother definitely still has all the newspaper clippings. Pretty I feel like this is the most organic story of a musician starting <laughs> out their career because I feel like there was at no point any choice for you to make. It was like... It was just there. It just happened to you. Mm, it was fun. And also, we had a very, very, very good music teacher that was of great support for us. Uh -huh. um, his name's Dev Lynch. He was just so supportive and did a lot for the music um, the music suite in our high school. Um, he, when he first started working there was when we first started taking music seriously. And he got this big grant for the school to get a bunch of new Mac computers and sound system and built a stage and got lighting and everything. So he really kind of elevated the place, which made it more enjoyable for us to be there and to, to work at it because it was a really nice environment that he created for us. Which Amazing. was super nice. So if it wasn't for him, I don't think, I, don't, I mean, I don't know what would have happened, but um, it was a huge help, which also, that was what led me into production was uh -huh. we got these new Mac computers and he was teaching us how to make music on GarageBand and then Logic. So we were learning how to compose music with a digital audio workstation. Kind of like we were doing yesterday. Exactly. Started yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to figure out uh, the broadcasting software. But yeah, those, those, they were very formative years and um, it was super helpful to have that at such an early stage, I think, yeah. in high school. So it's a good background. And it's a, if it's a, like you're saying, a story, mm. like the next thing was always kind of, was that in front of you? Kind at of, some yeah. point you get to Berlin and start producing music there and yeah. kind of change the style a lot. And so I'm yeah. sure there were just like in a movie. Yeah. It's it like the... There was a big lot of, lot of chapters yeah. of, of what music was for me, but it was always kind of the main focus of what I was doing. I just didn't really know what it was, but it was always happening um, because after high school, I moved to a city called Christchurch mm -hmm. um, in the South Island of New Zealand, 
because this town where I grew up was a very small town called Pahiatua. It's a tiny town, 4,000 people kind of thing. So I went to Christchurch to study and I went to an audio engineering school and did two years there. So I learned more about live sound engineering, event management. Um, and then in the second year, I learned more about production and audio engineering, working in the studio, recording bands, learning about microphones, learning how, what does what, you know, just learning the ins and outs of it. Um, because I wanted to go to jazz school, but I couldn't, I still can't, I can't read music. So I never committed to that because I was just, I think I was afraid slash couldn't be bothered to have to learn how to read music because it was never a thing that I did. Um, I just always listened and learnt, which was good and bad at the same time because it would be nice to play some crazy jazz stuff, but that's fine. You just got to figure it out in your own way. And then, yeah, so those years in Christchurch studying at this music school, I met other musicians and um, I actually failed my second year because I was just hanging out in the studio, uh, smoking weed and jamming out and learning how to make songs with the guys that were in there, not actually doing the assignments or anything. Um, Because we just had this access to these amazing studios. We were just hanging out and recording and learning how to make drum and bass and all this other stuff, yeah. you know. And then in those years as well, I met someone else, um, a good friend of mine, her name is Tali. She's a very established, um, started out as a very established drum and bass MC. Mm. And she'd just come back from living in London for 10 years and she was looking at starting a band, needed a guitarist. I just met her at a gig and then she needed a guitarist and I was like 19 and then started playing guitar for her. And we were traveling the country playing shows and just it just kind of went next 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 thing this thing this I, thing, I heard this all thing. this uh, musical genres from church music to drum and bass to yeah. jazz like you seem to have incredibly an incredible incredible range of interests mm. um what really do you feel like you are moved towards a certain genre what captured your imagination in later years well i guess um, yeah, it's like a fast forward, but dance music and like four to the floor, techno house styled music really, um, took me by, uh, well, I just really kind of took over my life in a, in a way. Obviously after living in Berlin for a few years, um, you spend a lot of time listening to that kind of music out in the clubs and it was just so much fun. Oh, so it's not what got you to Berlin. No, I, I never knew what tech, I mean, I kind of knew what it was, but I didn't go to Berlin because of techno or house music. I went to Berlin because I, I wanted, I had the chance to get out of the country and to go somewhere. And I'd met some German travelers a year before that, a year and a half before that. And they just said, if you ever want to come to Germany, like, let us know. Cause we'd become quite good friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd heard about Berlin through the likes of, um, some New Zealand artists, Fat Freddy's Drop. Lady Six that all spent time in, in Berlin. And then I just messaged the guy one day and said, Hey, I want to come to Germany. He's like, Hey, I live in Berlin. I've got this apartment. You can come stay with me. And I was like, okay. So I just booked a, a one way flight. I'd, I'd had some money saved because after I failed my second year at the music school, I worked in a warehouse for a year and a half, um, and, uh, saved up some money. And then I just bought a one way flight to Berlin. And didn't know 
anything about the party scene there had hadn't heard of Burkine didn't know any of this stuff you know I just was just like oh, musical arts artsy place sure let's go and I just knew that I wanted to grow as a musician as a per- and as a person that's kind and of what it I felt would... like the natural place to land yeah I don't know I just kind of I, did, I had no idea I had no idea what I was getting myself into but I turned up 26th of June 2014 I had a big like traveling backpack in my guitar and I was just like okay here we go like I don't know what it is but it's some you know whatever and then all of my experiences just come came from playing the guitar just I started within three days I was playing on the street I'd met some other musicians in a hostel and then they were going busking and I just I joined them and yeah within a couple of days I was playing guitar on the street and meeting people You still do this busking? Yeah, yeah. I, I've I haven't done it this year. Um, I've kind of tried to not do it too much because it became more of a um, a way to make money instead of a way to enjoy myself and to mm-hmm. express myself. Mm-hmm. So when all the money got in the way of it, or when the the des- the need for money got in the way of why I was doing it, it made me enjoy it less. So I stopped kind of last year, and I tried to focus more on what I enjoy which evidently became more about music production making um how productive is busking i never i never really you can do really well yeah and i think i mean when we started you know eight nine years ago selling cds was definitely still a thing Mm -hmm. Uh, and people still sell cds for sure uh but cds becoming less and less uh, usable no one has a cd drive anymore but that would be the way to make good money was to obviously get donations and stuff for yourself cds for five or ten euros so if you go out and sell seven cds in an hour it's 70 euros you know plus anything else you've earned so i went through a good streak last year where i was making quite a good every time i go out i'd make i don't know 120 euros something like this in an hour and then to do that the next day but there's so many variables with busking mm-hmm. there's other buskers there's police and the mm-hmm. ordnance out in mm-hmm. germany which is like the, the order of police They're kind of worse than the police, but they'll take, they'll confiscate your gear if they catch you, if they want to. Mm-hmm. So um, there's all the and like weather and wind and people. And so you can have amazing days, four days in a row, and then you can have two days of really bad experience, you know. So I see. So you do co- it on your own? You'd, I, I would do it on my own, yeah. But then it's also a great way. That's how I met so many of my friends because I met other buskers and then we all became friends. So it was kind of like a, a great way to meet people as well, especially when you're in that. Um, stage of your life where you want to be out there just doing it because you want to do it and it's super fun and Berlin is great for it because everyone just can drink on the street so everyone stops outside the train station sun's going down there's music people are hanging out it's just such a beautiful place to yeah. to be that's how I met the band that was at my birthday last year you know the Israeli uh, mandolin players that were mm. playing Balkan music mm-hmm. I, they were busking in uh, Grasa, they were playing so well. I was surprised, like the quality of the music you can find on the streets in Lisbon. Yeah, in London a, as well. I remember we invited, we invite people over for parties after yeah. seeing them. Yeah, it's a great way to connect with the surrounding world because mm-hmm. you're just out there and you never know who you're going to run into. It's so amazing. There's so many people going past, and sometimes you have so many amazing experiences just from doing that. Because you're just out there. And it's also great practice. It's great practice. Yeah. Every day, playing, practicing, learning how to 
present yourself on a microphone, which is a huge skill actually, and learning how to interact with a crowd, learning how to look at a crowd when you're singing, which is really important to like make eye contact and it just builds your confidence in performing in front of a crowd. So through all this, mm. the versatility thing is, is quite obvious, like a diverse set of interests, lots of different genres that you talked about and instrumentation and <clears throat> technical side. We're calling this podcast Meet the DJ. Yeah. At any point in your musical career, have you felt like you were a DJ? Uh, I've definitely DJed a lot in the last few years, for sure. But I've never called myself that. I feel like uh, it's not my true calling, even though I really love doing it because it's so much fun. Um, but yeah, I definitely DJ a lot, but I've never thought about it as like a... I suppose what I do now is essentially DJing, I'm, except that I make the music and I'm playing it all my own music, uh, which a lot of DJs do as well. Um, but yeah, I, I only learned how to do it maybe like 2018. I just kind of taught myself at this. That's so recent. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, the, the process itself isn't crazy difficult to learn, mm -hmm. but it's just finding good music is the difficult part. Like to, and I've definitely, um, been moments where I've DJ when I'm like, well, this is way harder than what I thought it was going to be. Cause this is a classic kind of ego, um, musician versus DJ, blah, 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 you know, like, which I try and my best to not have. I'm pretty sure I don't have it, but, um, it's a, it's they're both very different art forms. I think DJing and playing music. It's DJing is its own thing for sure. Mm -hmm. um, Were you you drawn to learn it just from an equipment perspective? Like how um, does this thing work? What are these? Yeah, I think I was just interested. I just wanted to learn how to do it. because yeah. especially when you sing so many DJs play all the time at all the clubs and stuff and all the festivals. I was like, man, I want to learn how to do that. And there was a place that opened up in Berlin called Pirate Studios. And they had these self-contained rehearsal spaces, music studios that you could rent for a, an hourly rate. And then they had eight rooms set up with a full DJ set up and a sound system. And it's like a tiny little room you rent for 12 euros an hour and you can just go in there, you get an access code. Boom, go into the room, soundproof, you're locked in and you've just got CD Day 2000s and a 900, DJM 900 mixer, like top of the line. Um, set up and you just have it to yourself and you just sit there and figure it out so I just sat there I would just go there a couple of times and I just learned how to do it because I think I was um, being asked to do um, kind of like podcast mixes or mixes for SoundCloud for different labels or whatever yeah and I was just I thought okay well I might as well learn how to do it but it was still yeah I still figured things out you know and also once you spend time with the equipment every time I sit down I'm always like what does this do? How do I do it? And just play, 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 try figure it out, you know? So I listened to this um, set that Eric sent me of yours mm -hmm. from Caterblau, mm -hmm. and it felt like a composition. Yeah. What degree do you use uh, uh, sample material or, you know, mm. pre-existing material or you create your own sounds? Um, most of the drum sounds are all pre-existing material. I very mm. rarely slash I never record percussive uh, elements. I just have loads of samples of drum loops, uh, mm. one shot hits of snares and shakers and all those kinds of things. Of um, so I have loads of those, but all I do is I program them and then 
every melodic element is what I kind of just make. I have two little synthesizers um, and a guitar, and that's what I use to make all the stuff. It's pretty crazy. It's just, you don't need much. You just have a small little thing. Um, but yeah, a little Korg Minilog XD. It's like a nice little black polysynth, analog synth. And then I have a Moog Minotaur for my bass sounds. So I just use the same synth for all the bass sounds that I make. So you do it live just as you perform in a... I, I make it all before the show. Yeah, oh, so, you make it before the show. Yeah, so I, um, I used to do it where you'd have lots of samples and loops and stuff and you'd kind of launch different loops at different times and it'd be quite freestyle. But then I wanted it to be more streamlined like a DJ set because I was performing in the same realm as DJs. I wanted it to be like locked in, hmm. pristine kind of... Um, just I wanted it to be at the same level as like finished productions, songs that have full strength instead of just like random loops that might or might not work. Because also in the moment, it can be stressful trying to figure out what you're going to do next. And I, I don't really feel like doing that too much, you know? So, so I, I produce the songs and then I put them into my live set and I perform them and I just kind of press mm -hmm. play and I do a few things, I launch a few things and do some effects and stuff, but the songs kind of play through as they are. And then I can focus, and because they play through as they are, I can focus on playing the guitar and singing. Oh, wow, because you do that too. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I see. In the live set, so. I really look forward to Saturday. I want to yeah, yeah, me too. I want to participate in this experience. Yeah, it's super nice. It's super fun. And that gig at Carter was super fun too. It was very hot, but. How did you make your way in? This into this society of mm. parties and DJs and I mean Caterpillar I've yeah. never been but I heard about it so yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. It just came from knowing certain people and being in the party scene, kind of. Um, it all started. Well, the, the electronic music started uh, maybe like 2016. I started making because I'd been partying so much. Um, <laughs> as you do in those first Berlin years, but I've been out so much and experiencing so much music. And I just remember thinking like, who makes this music? There's so much of this every time I come out. And it just blew my mind. I just, I didn't understand. I was like, where does this all come from? Like, this is crazy. This is what you know? we're asking. <laughs> yeah. And there's just so many people that are in their studio pumping out songs, you know? And the beauty of dance music is that it's quite formularic. So the structure of a song is generally the same every time because that's how it works on a dance floor and that's how it works with DJs. Um, and so I would just go home and I had my laptop and I had Logic and I just started fiddling around and doing some things. Um, and I was really into really slow down tempo at the time because it was easier to do guitar on top because it was slower and you could be more free and more groovy with it. Um, and I, yeah, I just enjoyed the kind of slower tempo. Um, and then... I put a song on SoundCloud, like a down-tempo song, and it just got all these plays, and it just kind of, I don't know, it didn't blow up, but it just got a lot more plays and a lot more response from people that any of my other music that I'd put on SoundCloud at that time had gotten, because I was putting up like random beats and like some singer-songwriter songs or whatever. Um, but my friend Valdemar, this DJ and person, I wouldn't, he's not just a DJ, he's also a person. <laughs> Um, he's from, uh, from Denmark and he reposted on his SoundCloud and he had a lot of following. 
Um, his studio name is Dr. Vartan Mild. Crazy guy. Crazy guy, amazing taste in music, amazing Sounds DJ. Nice. Super cool. And um, he reposted it and that's what got all of the things. And I thought, huh, this is kind of cool. People like this kind of music. So maybe I'll do more. Was it download like downloadable or did people ask for um, that? I don't remember if it was downloadable. Maybe. I think it might have been. I think it might have just... Because this whole mysterious thing of like unreleased things on SoundCloud. Things on SoundCloud. Yeah, exactly. Fascinates me because... Yeah, I like... I'm a collector of music and I like to play... Mm. you know for myself and for friends and mm. every once in a while well more and more often there's a track that i can't find yeah and you find out it's unreleased or it's gonna come out or maybe it'll come out and yeah maybe there's like a SoundCloud. some sort of trademarking copyright issue that means mm. it'll never come out in this form and but then maybe there's a way to scrape it somewhere yeah. using some software and then you can play it again but so that whole part of the scene is is mysterious to me yeah and i wonder how it is being uh like a, like a point of origin for that stuff like producing maybe sending tracks around to mm. people that you know might play them mm. playing your own unreleased stuff mm. like how does that world work is it is it a world that you are playing and participating in um i definitely i've stopped putting songs on soundcloud that are just my songs randomly i've definitely tried to focus more on having a label release them just because labels generally have a larger reach and a larger audience um but there was a time where and i think soundcloud had a big moment uh you know in the 2010 era where a lot of producers and bedroom producers were putting their songs on soundcloud and it was um making them or like breaking them through almost and it really helped kickstart many careers like Kate Trinata for example he's one guy who like put up an edit and it just blew up and all these kinds of things or like Billie Eilish for example she was one of the biggest pop stars in the world right now mm-hmm. she put a song on SoundCloud or, or um, Post Malone like these guys there was a real time and lots of like Tom Mish also another producer from England who's an amazing guitar player producer and he the same thing with him it was just SoundCloud um, really kickstarted a lot of people yeah. and, and, and then you know it's just there's a lot of unreleased stuff out there and um but yeah and and people still listen to that song too it still gets likes and people still commenting on it it's crazy how it just sits there what, what's the song it's called tua r2 it's like a really old one i hear on podcast people always doing like show notes yeah so maybe we'll do show notes yeah we need to do the show notes. you could splice in a little sample of the track yeah you know, just like we can do the Katerblast set. We can do yeah. some of these artists you mentioned. Exactly, Voldemort, Vladimir, or whatever. <laughs> Doctor Vatamal. Doctor, that guy. Yeah. Put him in the show notes. Put this track in the show notes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Go home and listen to it. And so, for for technologies, for for music software, for instrumentation, like, is there a I don't know, like where do you where are you looking now? Like what is fascinating to you now? Mm. That's a expansion from what you're doing. I think there's collaborations, anything yeah. like that. I'm starting to become more interested. I mean, I'm also just continuing to learn myself and continuing to spend as much time as possible in Ableton and continue making music and get better and better and better because there's just so much to learn. And I really want to get better at the 
kind of the engineering side of it and making my song sound extra extra nice because it's a really long journey to produce and then learn how to mix properly and learn how to master properly and I really want to bring that to another level so then I can also mix for other people and produce for other people and produce for pop artists I don't know produce for other people that want to record their songs somehow but they don't know how to do it I want to be able to be that person that can be like hey come in we can record your songs and we can turn them into actual something Mm-hmm. Um, so I really want to get into that realm, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I've got a couple of friends uh, back in Berlin that want to, they've got songs that they've written on the guitar and they want to record them somehow. So I want to be the person to help them produce it and bring their kind of creation to life. So I'm, I'm interested in just learning more of what I'm already doing and just stick with it. I don't have much desire for any sort of anything bigger or even any, even other, you know, devices or instruments or toys i don't really spend much time freaking out about the latest synth i mean i would like to have one other synth perhaps and perhaps um some nicer speakers or something like this but i'm pretty satisfied with what i use at the moment so yeah i mean between creating your own music and producing and playing it seems like you've got a lot on i guess so kind of yeah what's the experience of playing like do you have a relationship with your audience? Are there venues that you prefer versus others? Mm. How do you feel about your actual DJing? Well, this, it's funny because I've, I've experienced performing music in a few different formats. So for a long time, for the most amount of my life, I've performed as a guitar player and I've um, played songs and sung to people. And when you can sing to people and play the guitar, in a nice room, it's much easier to captivate and to capture an audience because they're all there, they're listening to you and you're in total control of the room. And that really fills me up with, with light because it's so special, it's so intimate, it's there. Even in, on a stage, but, you, but still, if you've got a nice room, generally people are quiet. Um, and you can have this with 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 in the in the DJ environment but it's much louder and much busier and much more frantic everyone's partying it's a social engagement everyone's out there on the dance floor talking to their friends no one's they don't have to be engaged they're just there enjoying the environment so sometimes um, it feels hard to connect with the audience sometimes because it's just a party you know mm-hmm. um, so that so a lot of the time, it's funny. And also, when you're DJing, it's quite fun and easy because you know that the songs are going to sound great and you know this track is a banger, so you're going to play it and people are going to love it. And it's great and it's so much fun because you can just do it and you're like, ooh, and you, enjoy the, you can enjoy the party as well. Mm-hmm. When you do a live set um, and you have to deal with how you've mixed your live set and what it's going to sound like because it's not finished, it hasn't been through a nice mastering chain somewhere like you've got your own little master thing going on so a lot of the time it's hard to get the same sort of oomph and clarity in your music when you're doing a live set some people do it really well um i'm still figuring it out but i think it sounds pretty good but still it's um there's lots of things that you have to think about when Mm -hmm. you're doing a live set like does it sound good and then when people aren't dancing like you think they're going to dance because you've written the song and you think the song's a banger and then people aren't dancing to it. You're like, why aren't they dancing to my song? And then you start going through this whole process. You're just freaking out. And you have to deal with what I call the self-doubt devil. Mm. Who just sits on your shoulder and is like, this sucks. And you're like, no, it doesn't. I thought it was good. And so it's, there's a lot of emotion to deal with. 
especially mm-hmm. in that environment because you spend so much time well I spend a lot of time at home with my headphones on thinking wow this is great I love this song this sounds so cool and then you play it live and it doesn't quite translate to what you think it's going to and there's so many variables like the time of day you're playing um, you know if there's a natural crowd there or not and like what kind of mood the people are in um, who you're playing afterwards who you're playing before what time everything there's all these different things so it's a lot to have to handle at one time and so, so the mixing mastering mm. process like on live sets is not really a thing huh? I mean you mix your own yes stuff and others that play live you think it's similar like they will mix down their stuff as best they can yeah. but it doesn't go somewhere else sometimes it, sometimes it will sometimes I don't know I don't know many people's secrets but um, mm-hmm. some people are also just really good at it and they just know they're just smart like OY for example I don't know how he does it but he does it really well he yeah. does do it well some of these people that play live they have several people one is manning the electronic yeah. part and the other one is doing the live there's part. also people that you know have two people two brains two two minds is probably more powerful than one mind you know yeah i mean more more attention for yeah the different parts and uh, yeah but so people might get their stuff mixed by someone else and then get play those mixed stems back or um some people might have uh like an outboard piece of equipment which makes their whole master chain sound better um people might have more plugins that make it sound better um plugins are expensive so it takes a while to like <laughs> be able to buy them all and it's just knowledge it's knowledge and it's practice and um and that's what i'm excited about is continuing to learn and get better and better and better and better hopefully and uh try not to worry about it too much in the moment because it's yeah. also important because if you get too caught up in it it becomes not enjoyable and then it makes you question it at all like why do I do this sometimes I have that experience even as an audience mm. because uh, there are DJs I absolutely love and respect so much and they play incredible music and then there's this entire society of like drunk people around me trying to like make out with each other and take photos of themselves of the DJ whatever and I'm like just quiet down guys just pay attention to the music yeah. <laughs> you know like just like don't don't disturb this moment mm. like uh i absolutely feel the you know like i want to support the dj in in and validate their art and yeah. you know just be there for them yeah as an audience yeah it's somehow the best place to play and perform this stuff like i i love parties and i love that environment where it's it's fluid you know and you're like people are coming and going and it's organic like mm. if yeah. very special moments happen yes it's so different from concerts i used to go to a lot of concerts yeah and i went to one a few weeks ago which was actually like an electronic musician playing more of a concert format mm-hmm. playing live but in a concert venue and it was just kind of startling like the how different these atmospheres are mm like I found the encore thing to be so cheesy and I mm. found this like when they turn the stage lights on after the show to be horrible yeah and just like the abrupt start and stop yes but something like you mentioned with like uh, the intimacy with the audience like nobody's gonna sing along to your songs at a rave no. like unless you're Corella Dust 
Unless you're Corella Dust. <laughs> Shout out to Corella Dust. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, there are a few, but yeah, a few yeah. tracks even within those. But normally it's, it's just not happening, and it does happen at concerts all the time. And you, totally. You, like, people memorize your music, and people memorize the lyrics yeah. and sing along, and they'll sing the song for you. You see, all, you see this a lot on, Absolutely. on uh, even big stages. So mm. that must be, like, a crazy powerful yeah. feeling to hear, like, you know, ten thousand people singing your Must song. Be amazing. Yeah. The the uh, the electronic scene is it's totally different. It's like it sort of seems like it's music and it's music, but like the collaboration between artists, there's tons more of it, and I think this this um, makes it more accessible. Mm. Like you're saying, for bedroom producers mm. and for people posting sounds on SoundCloud and um people who want to just DJ and learn how the DJ equipment mm. works. Like anybody can do that. Mm. It's much easier than learning how to play scales on a guitar or piano and yeah. having the equipment. Yeah. So it's really like, I'm glad both exist. Yeah. They both have a time and place. Yeah. Um, I mean, is there, do you feel like that? I mean, has that been your pull back to like the busking stuff is like just this, desire to still play the guitar sing connect with people and i think yeah the desire is to have a stronger connection in an intimate environment and i would really like because a lot of live electronic artists do play concerts and do this kind of thing as well which is always strange when you have a kind of a rave sound at a concert you turn up at 9 p.m and then it's like boom opening act playing dance music and then boom live act and then it's finished and you've got Mm -hmm. three hours of sort of this music thing so it can be funny to experience that um you know but i really like the idea of that and i i am definitely aiming to head towards that direction eventually i would love to be able to perform my music to an actual state on a stage in front of an actual audience Mm -hmm. um away from the, the club thing but i have to i still really enjoy the club thing a lot um but that's that's kind of a goal where i want to get eventually hopefully Perhaps there's there should be like this hi- hybrid between uh, a club scene and a concert scene, mm. where the audience can still participate and dance. Because I think there's a magic in this collaboration between the audience and the musician. Mm. But the ability to focus on the music is much higher than mm. in a party setting. Totally. So maybe not a party, but a kind of concert slash rave. Yeah. I went to one with. Nicola Cruz in London, where yeah. the first part was a performance. Yeah. And it was more down tempo stuff, so it wasn't like a big dancey mm-hmm. atmosphere. And then there was a pause, and then it was a rave. Mm. And I don't know, maybe Acid Pauline's done some stuff like this too. I remember seeing him do a, a live set that was more listening, ambient kind of thing. Mm. But maybe there's room for this. And yeah, definitely. I mean, it's already happening. There's already people that do it, um, that have that have gone from playing in the club environment, festival environment, and that start going into more venues. Um, even if you have a club that has a place where there's a stage, it changes it completely. Mm-hmm. If you go to a club and all of a sudden there's someone on the stage, not behind a DJ booth, it's like on stage. It mm-hmm. changes everything. Yeah. It's the same room. It's the same sound, but it's mm-hmm. in a different. You're seeing it in a different format, and it changes your your idea of what you should do, maybe you're probably more attentive, perhaps. And some of these venues, 
maybe need to be hybrid as well and maybe they're becoming mm. hybrid like with these mm. new systems new sound system setups yeah. and everything being like more modular and adaptable and better sound engineering yeah and it's always fun when you're at a at a club or something and then there's something happening on a stage such a great thing to you think wow okay there's something else now something yeah mm -hmm. you know some festivals uh, do a good job of uh, yeah. making the focus on music to be quite uh, sure. clear like waking life was a bit like that mm -hmm. it was all about music there was hardly any commercial influence in into the festival nothing to buy there were no mirrors i love that yeah, it's incredible cool. and it was all about the music and the DJs were yeah. regarded as artists and perceived as artists. Mm. Quite experimental, and I think they also really invested in sound engineering. Yeah, like it seemed like there was like full-time people with every show. Do, do you get this in in Berlin when you play? Generally, that it generally always should be a sound engineer of some sort working the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Same with the clubs as well. There's always someone that's doing something. But and there's sound checking in advance or um i've done sound checks in clubs yeah but sometimes you do it the day before the party or you do it you go there before it opens um like i've done sound checks in carter before and all that you just turn up a bit earlier yeah and we but generally if you're a live act i'll ask you if you want to do a sound check they're quite onto it in most pretty much all the places there's always what are some of your most memorable experiences of playing like a great great music event um there's been many over the years in all different formats uh i mean rip most recently i played a show in a club called menschmeyer on saturday night back in berlin and it was super fun it was a really nice floor um nice time of the evening people really got into it and it was um once i warmed up and once i got over that initial slight wave of nerves it really like took off and it was super fun and um i've gotten I feel like I've gotten better at enjoying myself and letting go of holding on to these ideas of, oh, it's got to be like this, so why doesn't it sound like that? And all this kind of self-doubt devil carry on. Like, I feel like I've gotten good at letting that, leave that to the side and just enjoy it. Um, Anything interesting about the setup there? Like, how people were positioned around you? It's or... kind of a circular room, and they've rebuilt it in the last year or so, and it's called the Theatre Floor. And so it's just kind of like circus, uh, circular circus room. And it's got these pillars that go up and there's a mezzanine and there's all these things hanging down. It's super gorgeous and the sound's really nice. And there's something quite just, it's very, it's almost, it's quite classy um, and just has a nice energy in there. It's definitely the nice, well, I think one of the nicest floors in Berlin for sure, hmm. in terms of like how it's been built circular so you're in the middle and there's people behind so, you no you're in you're at that one end and everyone else is like it's you're at the back of the room obviously but um it just it's super well done super cozy velvet red velvet red lighting hanging chandelier things like mm -hmm. beautiful wow. everything it's really really nice they've done a great job with it um but it's hard to think that all the crazy experiences there's been many like where I play with people when I'm playing myself. Um, actually, well, one the last DJ set that was super fun was when I played in Carter as well. You were there on mm -hmm. a Monday afternoon at Mara's yep. birthday party. Yes, played a four-hour set upstairs in this tiny little like rave room. That was so much fun. 
It was so Very much fun. fun. And it was just fun to play fun music and enjoy it, you know? What do you feel when you play for a long time? Do you feel like there are stages of like uh, deeper immersion that you mm. go through? For sure, yeah. There's, um, I've only done it a few times, but there's always just a wave of like this and that. And it's, it's um, you just kind of ride it, I guess. But I also have the problem where I always need to go to the toilet. So that always kind of gets me. And uh, yeah. you know what it's like when, you need to, when you're holding on to go to the toilet. It's such a hard thing to concentrate <laughs> on anything else. You can't do anything. And it happens all the time. I feel the same. I feel like it's my connection with humanity when I'm on the dance floor and I have these religious moments like just exploding and I'm like, oh, I gotta pee. Yeah. It's like, okay, we're still here. Yeah. <laughs> we're still on earth. And we are human. Still How do I get out of this? Exactly. Middle of the dance floor that I'm in. Yeah. And, okay, and we've talked almost exclusively about music and, mm. and um, yeah, I guess your journey to from then till now and like what else anything else that's interesting what maybe i want to ask one more music question okay like what is music what do you think music is um i mean in a very like factual way it's very well organized sound um that's the first point but I have no idea. I have no idea. And I don't know how it works. I don't know how my hands work when I play the guitar. Because I'll sit there and I'll just, you just do stuff. And it comes out of nowhere. Like if I sit down and improvise a guitar solo, when I'm playing, I'll just start playing some solo thing. I don't, I'm not thinking about it. It just happens. And, or you're sitting down and you're creating something. And something just happens. It's so, a lot of different people talk about this kind of like, we, we as the or us as the musicians we're kind of channeling something from somewhere else and it just comes to us mm-hmm. because the amount of times I sit down and do something random and it's and I think it's wonderful and I just don't know where it comes from I don't know how or how I figured it out because I'm not thinking about it I'm just thinking oh yeah that sounds cool this sounds cool oh yeah cool and then you just do it you know what's interesting? This goes even further mm. because if you're on a dance floor and you're not, you're like really warmed up and in tune with the music, then your body does stuff that you totally. don't know that totally. it was gonna do. Like you don't think about what you do. Mm. You like seriously, my body surprises me with moves that come straight from the music, mm. which comes straight from the inspiration that you get from wherever I don't know. Mm. It's incredible the flow of inspiration in in people's bodies and minds and. <laughs> I just really enjoy it. I just love doing it. It's just so... It just fills me up. And I know that many, many people feel the same way. And it's kind of... I feel like the answers are always similar when asked a question like that. And everyone has the same feeling. Like, no one really knows, but it's super enjoyable. Mm -hmm. I think it was Napoleon that said that music is proof that the human race is much greater than it thinks it is. Crazy. Wow. Thanks, Napoleon. Thanks, Napoleon, for something nice. <laughs> Out of all the chaos. But yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very interesting world to be in. It's also crazy. It's also, it'll rip your heart out. It'll make you feel like you've got nothing, especially when you're involved in it so heavily and you, it's your career and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's There's so much like chaos to it too. So much so that sometimes I don't listen to music. I, 
Yeah, I'll just, I won't listen to it. I'll just do, I'd rather just listen to silence and just enjoy that. Mm. You know, also because That's an idea. when you have such, and a lot of producers slash probably most producers and musicians have a very over analytical brain. And when they're listening to songs, I'll try and figure it out and pull it apart and, you know, figure the chords out or thinking about the kick drum or thinking about the percussion sound or think about how nice those vocals sound and like, oh, I wonder what mic he used, all this kinds of stuff. Like it just goes, brain goes hyperdrive um which is why i love to listen to classical music and jazz where because i don't understand it and i can't figure it out i don't have to think about it and i can just enjoy it for what it is because it's so complex yeah you know and it's just lovely. it's not your business yeah. it's and it's just sort of to, really old just to be enjoy i love music that's from like before the 50s it's just, mm-hmm. there's, there's so much good music that has been around for centuries um especially classical music and um it's just haunting and beautiful and crazy and like they were just writing all this crazy stuff it's the most complex stuff it's insane you know is there um sort of uh there must be sort of um some sort of lisbon symphony orchestra kind of something going on here i mean there's this foundation the gold Bankian, i think it's called mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they have a lot of musical events and they have concerts and i've been meaning to go since forever but somehow <laughs> I yeah. couldn't manage yet. All the parties at the beach haven't missed one. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a whole different environment <laughs> going to watch the orchestra play. It's I, I I couldn't recommend it highly, and I wish I did it more. But last year I went to see the Berlin Philharmonic play, and it's just the most breathtaking thing to hear mm. this music in the space that it's designed for, and it's it's, it's they're so well treated acoustically. That even the quietest sound you can hear perfectly and the loudest sound you can hear almost at the same volume. Wow. And that's the beauty about classical music in those spaces. When you listen to classical music at home, there's these quiet parts and you're like, ah, oh, turn it up. And then it goes, boom, da 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 yeah. You're like, oh, turn it down, turn it down, turn it down. So it's hard to get that. You don't get that when you're in the space. You don't the, get the, the same space. experience. No, it's what, just, what did you see at the Berlin Fair? They Berlin. played Mahler's Fifth Symphony, I think. Mm. Yeah, Gustav Mahler. Gustav Mahler's 10th symphony is one of my favorites for sure yeah, I love the romantics it's like yeah. so put that in the notes Mahler's number 10 show notes yeah. it'll break your heart it's so nice Excellent. we should listen we should put it in the show notes for sure let's do it yeah. let's make show notes <laughs> what else is there anything um, I mean I feel like this is a good we've reached a nice place here mm-hmm. yeah I love this uh trying to explain this concept of music and where that took us mm-hmm. is uh, maybe we can conclude with just i mean are there some ways that we can support you like what are you looking forward to this year is there somewhere i mean we're going to come see a casa rea on saturday mm-hmm. but this mm-hmm. podcast is not going to be out by then when's this podcast going to be out don't know <laughs> coming said, soon coming soon but in the over the rest of the year um, there's a few things. I've got uh, a new EP coming out on the 18th of August. Um, I was back home in New Zealand during from December till May this year. So beginning of this year, I was living in the bush um, with my partner, Lily, and we had this really nice house that we were house sitting and I had a little setup and I was writing a lot of music. Mm-hmm. And I, we were in the middle of the native forest in the middle of the bush no Beautiful. nothing nearby 
um, a little town, maybe like five minutes drive away. And we were just out in this, in the middle of nowhere, essentially. And I wrote so much music for the club there. It was mm. insane <laughs> to be in such a contrasting environment and write music that's designed for, you know, European dance floors. Um, so that's coming out on an EP uh, next month. That's called 171 because we were living on 171 Senior Drive in Tuturangi in New Zealand. Um, so that's exciting and I'm excited for it to come out because it's fresh. Um, I put an album out earlier this year and um, that was, by the time the album came out, the music was about a year old already. So the, the process is always long. So I'm excited for new music to be out. And then, yeah, I don't really know. I'm trying to, I want to, I've had a few experiences recently where I played a living room concert last week and it was super beautiful, sung songs to, I don't know, mm. 80 people at this house in Berlin, and it, which is such an enriching and, and experience um, to continue to go back to the roots of guitar and voice. Um, because also performing electronic music and doing this whole thing has helped that side as well a lot. It's helped my confidence in being in front of an audience, my confidence on a microphone, my confidence as a performer. And so I'm really excited to kind of maybe focus a little bit more on that in the next few years. Um, and I would love to expand and do more of like an ambient song, beats, little thing, mm. musical performance. I, I would love to play at the ambient floor of garbage. You know, that'd be mm. super fun wow. just to kind of create. Because I feel like there's more, there's more of a chance to capture people when you're in a softer environment. Because when I find sometimes in the party context, it's just hard hitting, boom, 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 boom. And you can capture people, definitely. But I look forward to, um, because I also enjoy it more. So I, I quite look forward to diving into that, whatever mm. that means, ambient music. We kind of started writing an ambient album earlier this year, so maybe I'll try to do that in the next year or so. Um, so this EP, what platform do you release it on? It'll be on all the platforms. Spotify, mm -hmm. iTunes, Deezer, Tidal, Beatport, SoundCloud, all of the things. Okay, YouTube. so if we follow you somewhere, then yep. we'll, we'll get it'll, it. It'll all be there. It's coming out on a label called Seraphin Audio Imprint. It's a small label uh, in Berlin run by an artist called Iori. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Iori. Iori. Yeah, so it'll come out on that. And okay. We'll wait for it, August 18th. And a friend of mine, um, his name is Josh, he's from New Zealand also, he'd done the artwork for it, and it's super cool. So shout out to Josh for the artwork. Super sick. Super cool. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, I don't think you've got any random questions that aren't related to music. Oh. Why do you paint, paint your nails and well, how do you choose your colors? Um, I started painting my nails a while ago. I was on tour with a band uh, and the keyboard player from the other band, his name is Robbie, he was painting his nails and I was, I was like, oh, that's cool. And it looked great on stage. He had this whole, he had this gig where he um, dressed up in all this nail stuff and then had a UV light at his feet so he kind of glowed in the dark while he was playing. Um, so he started doing that and then I started painting my nails because uh, I thought it would look cool while I play guitar. It probably uh, does. Yeah, yeah, I need to redo them a little bit. But, um, yeah. but this color I've got, it's called, the color is called, this color hits all the high notes. Wow. That's the name of the color. Um, it's OPI for all the bougie. I, ha I have to say the inspiration in 
naming nail polish colors of oil pi is like unparalleled so funny (laughs) you just want to eat them (laughs) yeah i don't know i just really like it and the silver one i've had for a a little while now and i like it because it's it's not like a solid color Mm -hmm. it's kind of like a sparkly and it's quite subtle when it looks new as well it doesn't look like it's been totally painted looks yeah it's more like an experience like a glow Mm, it's more of a glow exactly Yeah. Yeah. yeah beautiful yeah and the first it was funny the first time i did it we played this show and i got so distracted by my fingers being painted that i kind of forgot some of the part that i was supposed to be playing <laughs> all of a sudden i'm looking at my hands and I'm like whoa this is weird my fingers are covered in it was like orange and red or something so yeah you know i mean the uv light also like makes it so weird. such it's a feature yeah. yeah yeah it's super weird but. how about a question on i'll ask you one on um on books podcasts mm-hmm. like where are you consuming from? Like not consuming from, but where are you finding inspiration from in media? In media, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of Joe Rogan, um, and I know that there's some people that aren't into him, but I just love the way he interacts with people and the way he talks to people and the way he asks questions and the way he listens. And that's been really nice. And it's helped me a lot in my own kind of conversation for people where I, you just listen to people talk and you can kind of learn how to construct a conversation. Um, and I really love being with people in a new environment and asking questions and listening and learning and, and going on any tangent that I can think of mm-hmm. instead of just asking simple questions like, where are you from? What do you do? Like if someone says, I'm from, you know, Ukraine or not from Ukraine maybe yeah Ukraine I'd be like okay and then I'd just be like what's the population of Ukraine and then what's this or that about this place or what's this mm-hmm. or that and take any sort of point that I can grab onto and hold onto and go with the conversation so listening to that has been really nice to help me be with people um, and I just enjoy the way yeah he just makes funny things out of anything mm-hmm. um, so yeah like podcast books i've been slack with reading in the recent years or the recent year i should say um definitely need to get into it more definitely far too distracted by my phone and everything else in life as we all are um music um i also don't spend a lot of time listening to music these days which is another thing like i've said before sometimes um but if i do it's i have like this boston never playlist that i just put on all the time or i'll find some mixes on soundcloud um, but in terms of finding inspiration for music, it kind of just comes from doing it, mm-hmm. from sitting down and starting something. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it doesn't come from like walking down the street and seeing the sunset and the birds fly off as the car drives past. I don't think, oh, I want to write a song about that and go home mm-hmm. and do it. It just, it just comes from me sitting down, getting into it. And then the more you do it, the more you unveil it's like sitting down and um, being excavating some sort of dinosaur skeleton. You know, you sit down and you don't see anything, but then you brush away a little bit and there's like a little bone and you brush more and then you kind of just dig, 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 dig and you end up creating something. It reveals itself. And it gets more inspiring the further you go. Um, but sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, you sit down and you try to do that, it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But when that, when you feel that, you just got to keep going. You know, so sometimes I'll be sitting down and I'll think, ah, oh, I don't really feel like this, so I'm, I'm not making anything nice. And then I'll stop for a second, 
do something random, probably just like look at Instagram or something like this. And then I'm like, no, just go back and do it again and then try again. And generally it kind of comes out of that way. But And then how do you know it's done? When do you know if you find it enough? It's a great question. I've been asked this question a lot before. Um, I do a thing. It's kind of like, I mean, a lot of people will say a song is never done. You can always do something, but I find that it can be quite bad attitude, quite a bad attitude to have because otherwise you'll never finish anything. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know, I just kind of, once I get, because I work chronologically, so, you know, you, you make the main part of the song and then you work on the intro and then you work on the outro. And once it's all kind of happening and I feel like the last minute works, then I kind of think it's finished. And then often when I'm in that finishing stage, um, I do a kind of lie down test where I just lie down on the ground and with my headphones on, close my eyes and just listen and just imagine it wherever I think it could be performed. And then if I, if I kind of passed that test, then I know it's done. Um, but yeah, it really, it's a really nice thing to do when you, you think you've finished a song, just lie there and just listen to it with your eyes closed. Cause you're not distracted by looking at it on the screen. Um, maybe you can take mental notes in your head, but it's just a really nice, a nice way to do it. Especially something about the lying down part. You're not sitting up, you're just totally relaxed, which is really nice. So yeah. I've always finished a song that I want to try and play this Saturday. So I might have to do a lie down test today just to make sure it's good to go. <laughs> we shall see. So excited about this weekend. Mm. Any last comments? Well, questions? I just want to say I'm so <laughs> happy with uh, having such a tremendous guest for oh. our first podcast. It's been an incredible pleasure to listen to you. It's been too easy. Yeah. But yeah, it's been a real pleasure. And I, I've known you for some years. It's, it's, but I learned a lot. Mm. I could talk more. I could talk for more. There's so many different things you could say. But yeah. But you, sometimes you have to kind of not say everything because... I feel like we're going to do another one. Yeah. I feel like this is not the last time yeah. we talk. Yeah. 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 Make it Maybe. And that one we'll just get weird on. Yeah. Once yeah. you get like the history out of the way, then you can start talking about other things. Yeah. And like what my actual opinions and thoughts on things are. Comedy. Yeah. You know, all the things that I like and don't like. Yeah. You know what my favorite food is? Huh. What is it? Fries. Man. That's like oh, really up there. It must be the favorite food of the most people in right? the world. It's the best. Potatoes, crazy. Yeah. And croissants. I just decided this morning I love croissants. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm quite simple with food, so like. What's, it, what's something controversial that you like? Fries being the opposite. In terms of food, or is anything controversial? Anything. I've got a secret fascination with cars. Uh huh. Like. I had a big moment as a child slash early teen with Fast and the Furious and Need for Speed Underground 2, the PlayStation game and that whole kind of boy racer world. And I've always kind of kept this fantasy alive a little bit. Um, so I'm always like secretly like looking at the fancy car that drives past without trying to show that I'm interested. Cause What's an exciting car for you? Anything that goes... Yeah. Um, I don't know, any sort of race car a car that goes fast 
Ferrari or Lamborghini? What's your? Um, I would always go for a Lamborghini, just because yeah. it's a little more rock star. Like yeah. wing doors, so sick. Can't wait to one day maybe have one. That's like a guilty, a guilty. That's a guilty pleasure. little like pleasure or like a Skyline GTR R34. It's a classic. Uh, it's a classic. Everyone knows that car, but imagine having one of those. I'm crazy. They're very expensive nowadays. They look like aliens, man. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a Japanese Nissan and it's same price oh, as a Lamborghini. Oh, I thought you were talking about the Lamborghini. Oh, Lamborghini is also like aliens. Yeah, so if you know when you go onto YouTube and there's all the like video suggestions, so many I get so many car video suggestions. That's crap too. Like just people doing car vlogs and you know going to Japan to buy this Ferrari and it's like, hey, what's up, guys? We're back here in Tokyo. Um, today we're checking out the, the, the Ferrari. I'm going to take it for a spin and see how it runs and uh, all this kind of, and I just watch all these like, videos. It's so stupid. It's an entire universe. It's an entire universe. An that universe. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. I was, I was playing a festival in Germany two weeks ago and the girl that put me up from the train station to, to drive me to the festival, she was like a girl racer and she moved to this part of Germany for the Nuremberg Ring, which is the largest race course in the world mm -hmm. racetrack um and i didn't know that until she started like overtaking cars and i was like whoa you, you know how to drive she's like yeah i'm driving this is why i live in this part of the country like she works at the racetrack as like the flag person and does all this stuff but it was pretty funny she even overtook about four cars coming up to her almost quite a blind corner and i was like whoa okay she's like i got one i was like okay so I wasn't as anywhere near as hardcore as her, but um, it was still pretty fun. Are there any other things on your algorithm, like your Insta algorithm, that um, are revealing about you that you will share with us? Started to get yeah, lots of car things, lots of DJ stuff, which I really try and not watch because I just get jealous of people playing in front of crowds, um, and comparison is not a good thing. So there's that. Lots of humor meme culture i feel like does everyone get meme culture stuff surely everyone gets memes. i get a lot of like stand-up um, comedy and stuff these days yeah um and a lot of things about being uh, like like kind of like girlfriend boyfriend meme jokes uh, yeah those ones a lot it's quite cute yeah it's cute um, that you can send to your girlfriend like it's totally me which is super fun um yeah so those kind of just lots of meme culture but i definitely and skateboarding i had a big part of my life was skateboarding in my teenage years um shout out to skateboarding i was gonna ask that i was like was it all music or was there anything mm. else like surfing skateboarding skateboarding was yeah. huge in yeah. in high school for sure yeah, yeah. it was definitely majority of my time um but not so much anymore uh i kind of injured my foot a couple of years ago and couldn't walk for a week mm. so i was just like, yeah fun. And then I started skating again because my younger brother is a, a really good skateboarder. So when I was in New Zealand, I was skating with him a little bit. And then I injured my foot, the same foot, the same way again. I couldn't walk for another week. And I just really haven't skated since then. Mm. So I do miss it a lot, actually. But can't afford to just... It's crazy. One simple little mistake in fall. Do you feel like now you have a sensitivity on this foot? Mm, not really, actually. It's kind of fine. Well, then you should get... Back I on the skateboard. I know, yeah. It's more about, yeah, I think 
the maybe the older you get, the more you've got to be careful of like stretching and warming up and I see. not just jumping into things. You know, cause we have yeah. a number of friends. The recovery. Also DJs that, that seem to have fallen prey to some surfing accidents. It's crazy. Sports are dangerous. No. Everything's dangerous, I guess, in the end. But it's just Surfing, my, I don't know if it's controversial, but I have an opinion that surfing is like not at all chill. It's pitched in this way that it's a chill thing to do, and there's actually very little that's chill about it. You're, you're paddling out into waves, like yeah. having to duck through so waves. Hot. Then you're sitting on something that has a fin underneath that is a weapon that will be used like against you frequently. And then there's this whole territorial thing yeah. of like, this is our beach, these are my waves. Like, yeah. People that's, like that's a big part of it. Selfish surfers in Costa Rica. Somebody that had a, like another surfer had a knife on them. What? And people and they got their tires slashed. It's like yeah, it gets sold as a chill thing, and yeah. it's it's very difficult. But I think when you're there and you catch those waves and you ride that wave for twenty seconds or ten seconds or whatever, yeah, it's, it's so transcendental. Yeah. yeah. Transcendental. Exactly. Like sitting out the back with your mates and the sun's going down. You're at a beautiful beach. This part I like. Yeah. The idea of just sitting on yeah. the board. I've done, I've tried to surf a little bit this year. So hard. So hard. Do you have a controversial opinion that's, that, come, that would come to mind quickly? Um, uh, maybe not. I did think about it. I have lots of different controversial opinions about different things, but I can't think of anything right now. Yeah. Also, think of that one for the next yeah the next, the next podcast one. also i feel like if i was to start talking about my controversial opinions i might sound like an asshole if you were doing the podcast yourself what question mm. would you ask it's a great question i don't know i would i guess i would listen intently to whatever the person was talking about and try and like go down whatever avenue felt right but I would never could. I've never tried to do it. So, any question that you want to ask of us? How did you guys meet? Dance floor on the dance floor. <laughs> yeah, classic. Yeah. One of those occasions where you meet on a dance floor and you actually hang out afterwards. Well, yeah. was it took yeah. months later because I think it was. We met multiple times on on dance floors around Lisbon and elsewhere. Yeah, but definitely this is where we've bonded the most. Also. Yeah. Just like, and the, uh, the inspiration for a podcast? Well, we saw some friends, DJs, putting yeah. out a little um, montage of a trip they did to Japan, uh -huh. parallel. Oh, yeah. And they're, like, they're so charming and they're great conversationalists and yeah. they're just storytellers. Yeah. And I was like, wow, this guy is played great, but they also speak amazing, you know, yeah, like I want to yeah. see more of this content. Mm. And I'm like, they should do a podcast. Then we realized they don't have time to do a podcast. So I'm like, we should do a podcast. <laughs> and, we have time and to do a podcast. create the space for them to come out and, you know, as people, yeah. as what they feel, what they think, where the music is coming from, mm. you know, shooting shit, as they say. Mm -hmm. Whatever, whatever. Yeah. I had a really nice experience with them once because I released a song on classified records a couple of years ago okay and we just had a phone call one day randomly and i've never spoken to either of them before on the phone and we just sat on the phone for like an hour just chatting 
just as we were like old mates. It was super bizarre. It was amazing. I just sat there and we just talked for ages about all this stuff. And then we started talking about jazz music and I was like showing them my favorite jazz song. It was just like the most easy flowing conversation with someone that I never spoke to before on the phone. With, with super, Julian. Yeah. yeah. And Thomas. Uh, yeah, I'm curious if it's, if it's a frequent thing that these people who are behind the decks, you know, moving around so often, like he, they're just there for a day, but mm. if they have a lot to say, maybe, maybe some do, maybe some don't, but yeah. the ones that we do, uh, that we know in Lisbon and around, like, are, are super interesting, yeah. have a lot to say, yeah. have a lot of interesting, sometimes controversial views, mm. strong opinions, but are like open-hearted, open-minded people. I'm sort of anticipating that not everybody's like that, but Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very lucky to know a lot that yeah. are and especially in the in the environment where you travel around and you have to be with new people all the time mm-hmm. you kind of you got to be on your toes a lot and you you get good at interacting with people that you don't know it's quite fun actually yeah. and the ego thing I'm also very interested in mm. because we talked about what is a DJ but They're some people you. have a have a they make it into like a their whole identity yeah is the DJ like the brand? Yeah, the concept and the product almost. Mm. I definitely have big ups and downs with my ego for sure. And I've, these days, I've definitely tried to have the least amount of it as much as possible because it can be quite toxic. Um, and I've had experience where my ego's made me feel one way, and then the experience happens, and it's doesn't go the way you thought it was going to go the way your ego thought it was going to go and you have this kind of very humbling grounding moment where you Mm -hmm. think oh shit i'm just a little just a little person doing this little thing and i need to relax a little bit and not think i'm so magnificent you've got to you've still got to have it and you've still got to have confidence especially when playing and this is still something that i work on a lot but when you're playing if you have the confidence to enjoy yourself and if you are having fun and if you really are there and present and believe what you're doing it gives permission to everyone else to enjoy it and lose their lose their mind over it you know um, yeah but it's uh, yeah it's a it's an intricate balance some people are really good at it i've realized also in the last little while that i'm quite a sensitive person so i can get very like oh what don't know about this oh, and then other times i'm like yeah let's go oh, this is my song this is my guitar so I'm like wow yeah there's yeah. confidence and there's like kind of bravery. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think are necessary to be good at this. Mm. And to do then, anything in life. And then there's mm. there's like sort of projection and anticipation and expectations mm-hmm. and attachment to that feeling mm-hmm. which link back to this more toxic version of the ego. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the ego you need a healthy amount for sure. And you just need to be grounded and just have respect for people and listen to people. Yeah. That's and what I, I try to do. Just listen to people. And yeah. to get a, to get ahead and to make money on it, you mm. have to push it a little bit, right? For sure. You have to ask for your name to be on the billing. Boom. Spelled yeah, right, so. you know, positioned right. Yeah. You have to push for the marketing. Mm. You have to push for your fee, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure this stuff is just constantly yeah. negotiated and it's easier to be like, ah, okay. Yeah, 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 but then you won't get anywhere. 
you've got to be a hustler for sure if it's like if it's if it's your own thing and you're the only one doing it if you don't have any help any management any sort of support it must be difficult to split your uh, commercial identity from your artist identity mm. and be able to be honest and humble in your creative process and then assertive in your commercial yeah commercial identity i think it, you can blend them together it's just about being it's like having you know just setting your boundaries of what you want and need for yourself in that environment and saying no to things when you know that you need to say no and say yes when you can say yes but and also not being afraid of saying no and speaking up for what you want um but in saying that it's also difficult um you know so and saying no is saying yes to something else yeah yeah exactly i like that mm-hmm. how about okay here i think maybe this is a great closing mm-hmm. concept mm-hmm. Like, this is Meet the DJ. Yes. This wonderful, however long we're on, an hour and a bit with nice. Harry Charles, the virtuoso. Uh, if you reflected back, like, if you're talking to the audience, what's, like, a thing that you want to tell them? Um, I've done this also recently. Fuck. Well, no, no, no. But like, it's not an original question. No, no, no. But I, I remember I played, I finished this gig, and this person was like, "Hey, you got any words of wisdom?" And I just, I think it's more about being simple with these kinds of things, and just saying something like, "Just enjoy it and look after yourself." I don't know, something simple like that. But yeah. recently at this living room concert, I said something where I was just grateful and thankful, and I wanted everyone else to be grateful for making the choices in their life and going on the path that they've chosen, which led them to that moment being there in that room with me that night. And for all of us being there, I just said, thank you to everyone for like making the choices that you've made in your life, for leading you here, because this is where we are right now. And that's really, really beautiful. So thank wow. you for that. And that's what I really enjoyed the most. Um, I spend a lot of my time realizing that the very moment that we have right now is where we are at the furthest we've ever been in our life ever. This is it. Yeah. This We're is at like... the edge of our existence exactly. right now. I say it all the time. It's yeah. so funny. But I really love I really love being grateful for right now and not try not to freak out about the future too much. Um, because it's just you can't you can't just no one knows. You don't know. Mm-hmm. We get so obsessed with um, the future and what this will be and what that's gonna be and if I just do this then I can get to that. And I can do this, and then we get so we're so lost in what will be, and it's just so unknown. Um, so I really love to try and like almost every day. I think really grateful for this moment, just gratitude, you know, stoked, enjoying the small things. Like every time a flock of birds fly past, I'll try and like if I if I have the energy, I'll try and count them. And be like, wow, wow, there's like twelve birds flying, and you know, sometimes it's too many to count, but. What a great presence exercise. Just some, just like some micro meditation. Yeah. Yeah, or just like, I, I, I take a lot of photos. Um, I shoot analog photography and it's really helped me to appreciate all these different things that could be photos um, because you spend most of your time looking at it thinking, wow, that's a gorgeous thing. All of those shadows there. That's, look at that lady standing with her cane against that wall. It's so nice. That'd be a great photo. And it makes you appreciate all these little moments that you see. Um, so... I really just try and spend time appreciating whatever it is at that moment and be just stoked on it. 
but it's hard. It's also hard. We we must have our downtimes and our moments of panic and fear and stress and you know, yeah. that that all comes naturally. Um, I was thinking just that I think insecurity is a feature, not a bug. Mm. Like it's what keeps you fresh. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You're a great photographer. Thank I, you. That's um, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's another thing that I do is I shoot photos. Um, film photos. There's just so much. Send us, send us a link for the show notes. There's a link in the show notes. My last name is um, Leatherby. So my uh, Instagram photography, Instagram, Let There Be Photos. Ah, Let There Be Photos. Mm. Love it. Yeah. It's fun. We'll link it up. Link it up. Thank you so much, Harry. Thank you. This was wonderful. Thank you. Nice. My first podcast. Oh, no second podcast, but still first podcast <laughs> no it's, it's 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 a real treat total gratitude yeah this was wonderful and really? uh look forward to seeing where you go next and being on the dance floor for yeah. you at some of these stops along the way saturday night a real a real joy to be with you thank Woo. you thank you